Carolyn liked her nurse's training very much, and she made lasting friendships there. She was the only Christian in the class. All of them, rest of them smoked, except one. She was a doctor's daughter and didn't smoke because of health reasons. Her father wouldn't allow her to as long as he was paying her way, so she had to wait until she was out of school. Smoking was the big thing in the 50s, sort of a status symbol. Bruce was working for Floyd with potato planting, cultivating, and so forth, and in the warehouse in the winter. He went up and stayed with Jean for a while and worked for one of her neighbors. In the spring of 58, he had to have hernia repair surgery, so he came home. Carolyn was dating some. She had... Uh, she came home for three weeks in the summer and also several weekends during the year. And she worked for Gladys Pauling at the, those times again, helping her with filing and so forth. Bruce had odd jobs as farmers and worked at Bird's Eye some. In, the in July of that year, Crystal Maureen was born to Jean Jumble. So that was, she was a cute little thing. She looked like Jean more than some of the rest of them had looked more like the Paulings. But they were all nice, healthy little girls, and we loved them. And in the fall of that year, Dick and Jerry came back in uh, our area. He took a job teaching at the Canisteo School. He took the new math teacher's job. The other one had retired. On December 31st of that year, the churches in the area had a watch night service that was held at the Canisteo Church. Carolyn and the young people from our church went to that. And there she met Lloyd Prentice. And that was made a big change in her life. Helen was in her senior year of nurses' training, and they wrote back and forth, and he came up on her days off and so forth. And along the latter part of January, she called home and said that she was engaged. And I said, so soon? And she said, oh, we're not going to be married till August. I told her to be happy there on cloud nine because she wouldn't always be there. Later, she told us that she told Lloyd she couldn't say yes until she had to tell him something. I've tried to imagine what must have gone through his mind. And then she said, I have false teeth. She said he laughed and laughed. I suppose some, um, partly because of relief and partly because he thought it was so ridiculous for her to be so concerned over something like that. But it had always been very dramatic to her and a very hard thing for her to uh, take. And she didn't think it was funny at all. As I said before, Mother was in bed all the time now. Dad took a great deal of care of her, and that helped so much. She was always so sweet and easy to take care of. 
She had angina, and back then they gave nitroglycerin, but you weren't to give it to them until you knew for sure that it was an angina attack. And so the pain would get so bad before the pill would take effect. I always felt so bad over that. Nowadays, they keep angina or keep nitroglycerin in their system all the time, and that way they don't get that terrible pain that comes with it. We were making plans for Carolyn's wedding all the time. It was set for August 15th. She graduated from nursing training that year. And we went to that service. And that was a nice graduation program. They gave just one award instead of several, as I did in Jean's class. And she received that one award. It was called the Ideal Nurse Award. It covered all the different uh, points of nursing. We were proud of her and so glad we could be there to see the ceremony and, and meet her other friends and so forth. In July, Mother died. It was so hard to see her go. And it was hard for my father, too. They would have been married 60 years in December. But, of course, we knew she was out of her suffering, so we were thankful for that. And we knew she was in a far better place with Jesus than she ever had here on this earth. Now plans had to go ahead for Carolyn's wedding. The invitations, of course, were out. The church had had a shower for her in the spring. I had a new dress, and so did Debbie, and the little boys had their proper clothing. The men all wore dark suits, so that was easy to take care of. Jesse Eisman the lady in our church took care of the flowers. She did a beautiful job of that. Jerry Jack had the ceremony. Rebecca Prentice, Lloyd's sister, was maid of honor, and Doris Alzheimer and Pat were bridesmaids. Roger Ryder was best man, and Mulford Drake and Dick were ushers. For the reception, they had pistachio ice cream and, and strawberry ice cream to carry out their pink and green color scheme. And cake, of course, served with that and punch. The temperature was in the high 90s, and Carolyn has kept track of it every year since then. And that day, August 15, 1959, had set a record for heat for that day up until last year, last August. That was then. After their honeymoon, they got a house in Rochester, and Carolyn went to work as a nurse at the hospital where she graduated Highland. And Lloyd registered in University of Rochester to finish his college. 
for a number of years, my mother had had um, dinner, a picnic in the summer to celebrate her family's birthdays. She had two brothers and a sister that lived in Cornell area. So they all came, um, Aunt Myrtle Cook and her husband Clarence and Uncle Will Matthews and his wife Jenny and Uncle Harry Matthews. And they all came up for this picnic and my father's birthday was in the summer too and of course my mother's was in August along with the Aunt Myrtle's. So it was nice. We had, uh, as a young girl, I remember we had these every summer. And then after they passed away, I continued to have the picnic there at my house in the summer for my family as they married and had children. They came back. We usually set a, a Sunday that they could all come. And then we, they'd all go to church that had come here to church to begin with. So it was a chance for them to get back in their own home church for one day a year. It was very nice, and then we'd have the picnic, and they'd uh, play games in the afternoon in the yard, croquet or uh, softball or something, or just sit and visit. They didn't see each other very often. In the fall of 1959 was the beginning of Pat's senior year at Avoca. Sometime before this, there had been a Youth for Christ organized in Avoca, the large, around a large area. There was one in Avoca and Bath and Jasper and Artport. And they, in these different uh, groups, they organized quiz, Bible quiz teams. They were each given a section of the Bible from which the questions would be taken, and they studied those. And the different quizzes were held on, a sa on the Saturday night when the Youth for Christ met in these different areas. They were judged on speed and accuracy, mostly. There was other things they judged on, too, but that was the main way they were judged. Pat worked hard on this study. They'd be so happy when a vocal one. At the end of the year, in the spring, they would announce the quizzer of the year, the one who had answered the most questions correctly. In the Jasper Church, it was held, this, the awards service was held this year. Pat won the quizzer of the year award. That was a nice way for her to end her last year in quizzing. Only high school students could be on the team. I've always, she had always wanted to be a teacher, so she applied at Geneseo Teachers College, they called it then, and she was accepted. But she really wanted to go to Holton. She had majored in housekeeping, homemaking, and not college entrance courses, so the school didn't think she could get in. But she had heard, several had told her that they would write letters of recommendation, so she applied and was accepted. 
she was so very happy, I remember over that. I was working at Bird's Eye Till. I worked nights, and Pat started working days. So between us, we managed to keep the fires at home burning correctly. Lloyd had always wanted to go through the western states on a trip. And so we planned that maybe we could go this winter. He'd like to go on up through Washington State and down through Cal uh, California, but we know there wouldn't be time. He only had two weeks off in the winter. So we went through Illinois and Missouri and that way west and back through Texas and Louisiana and Arizona, so we covered a lot of states. We stayed in motels and took our food with us. The most we ever paid for a motel was $7. Most of them were $5 a night. There was no signs up saying no cooking allowed, so we took an electric fried pan. Fern had made a big batch of beef stew and put it in pint cans. And so we had that several times warmed up with the electric fry pan. We had eggs for breakfast. Cholesterol was not a word in our vocabulary at that time. So we ate eggs for breakfast and rich food for supper. But all of it we took with us. We ate in the restaurant two different meals on the whole trip. When we got out to California, we stayed overnight with the pastor and his wife that married us. That was a nice time. To, they had been gone from there for many years. Thirty years, in fact, since they'd left there. They left shortly after we were married. We called home every Sunday night and Wednesday night to see everything was all right there. We sent a lot of postcards and took a lot of pictures. It was nice, but a way too short a time for all we wanted to cover. But we did cover a lot of states and had a very, very good time. Now I've got ahead of my story again. In June of 1960, Colleen Lynette was born to Jean and Jumbo. So there was five little girls. Debbie made six, and, and Dick and Jerry's three made nine. So when they got together, there was quite a crowd of little girls, and still one lonely boy, Mark. Gene Jumbo moved back to Dansville, so we got to see more of them. They used to come over every once in a while. Paul, uh, Geneva and Kenneth Pauling, Jumbo's parents, had a dog named Pal. So well, sometimes Gene would say, well, we're going to Grandma's. And they'd say, oh, where are we going? Are we going to Pal's house or Debbie's house? We used to laugh about it. Geneva says, I guess we know where we stand. In September, Cynthia Ann was born to Carolyn and Walt. There was quite a contrast in their looks. 
They all had blonde hair except Chris. She had dark brown hair from the time she was born. Dylan, five of them had brown eyes and five had blue eyes. Now Grandma's talking again. They were all very nice-looking children. Debbie had brown eyes, too. She looked quite a lot like Karen, and, well, there was a family resemblance there, and she looked like um, um, some of the other children, too. They got a big kick out of calling Debbie Aunt Debbie. That's comical because she was the same age as most of them. Dick tells a story, and I can't verify this, that one day Karen come in and says Aunt Debbie has wet her pants. Pat finished her freshman year at college and went to work at Birdseye again this summer. Bruce worked with Lloyd. He had a car. He had a series of girlfriends. He also had other boys that he did things with, and they were not Christians. He knew the things he should do and should not do. He'd always been brought up in the church, but he chose to go the wrong way. They got to taking old iron and tin roofing and kind of things like that and sold them at places where they bought old iron. He was very naive. They got him to sell it so his name would be on the bill of sales, so he was arrested. He was really scared. I guess sometimes God has to make us hit bottom before we wake up. Dorothy Jones from the church and Dick Snavely from Youth of Christ both went to see him. He was ready and waiting to get things straightened out in his life and get back to serving God. He went to court several times, but he was finally put on probation. The others got pr uh, prison sentences because of past troubles they had had with the law. He began going to Youth for Christ and into our church, and in the spring of 92, we met Aaron Dillon there at the Youth for Christ. He also went to work at Gunlocks in Wayland about that time. They wanted to marry right off, but we talked them into waiting till fall. And they were married in October. The wedding took place in the Southside Baptist Church. And that was where Aaron went to church. Cheryl Dillon was, uh, uh, Aaron's sister was maid of honor, and Pat and Alice Franklin were bridesmaids. Dick was best man. Jumbo and Lou Aarons were ushers. They had a reception there at the church for them. They went on a wedding trip up Rochester Way. And when they came back, they rented Myron Ryder's tenant house. That was a cute little place. And they set up housekeeping there and lived there for quite a while.
Aaron has this inherited condition where walking is difficult for her. She had to use crutches always. And we, when it was time in the next year for in, uh, summer for Paul David to arrive, they moved down to Grandma Dillon's in Canisteo for a while. He came, as I said, in August. He was a healthy, nice little boy. They stayed at Grandma Dillon's a while, but then they came up to our house for a while. And he I worked for Bernard Jones, and had a, they bought a trailer and set it up on Bernard's land. <coughs> they stayed there uh, for some time, and then in this, this was in 63. In the fall of 63, Andrew Henry was born to Carolyn and Lloyd. They were close in age, and they were always good friends. They didn't see very much of each other, but whenever our family gatherings came, they would always go off to themselves. And they seemed to have lots in common, and they uh, grew up enjoying each other. As I said, not very often, but when they did, they always had a good time. They went hiking up the mountains together, in the Adirondacks, and did things. And when we get the when they'd come to the family gathering, they'd always be off to themselves, just chatting away like old gentlemen. Um, Bruce worked for Bernard Jones for a while, and they bought a trailer and set it up on his property. And they lived there until the uh, fall of 64, and then they moved up to Rochester. Aaron had a job uh, doing filing and typing and so forth. Uh, later, she worked for Xerox. And a lot of that time, Paul Davis stayed with us, and they'd pick him up weekends. He was a lively, healthy little guy, and we just enjoyed him. Floyd always loved babies anyway. And he, and he was there, and we had a good time. Floyd, Bruce had a job driving truck in Rochester, and Aaron worked at her job up there. And then we, they uh, moved to the, down to uh, Dyer Hill Farm, that belong, a house that belonged to Floyd. And they stayed there until in November of 1970, they bought a house in Wallace. And they, that's the home they still have now. In the fall, in the summer of 66, Noel Dortha came. She was a pretty baby, and we enjoyed her a lot, too. She stayed with us quite a lot of the time and they, uh, during the week, and they'd pick her up weekends. 
in June of 64, Pat graduated from college. She worked for Bird's Eye, and she also helped Gladys Pauling with her filing and so forth, the same that work that Carolyn had done. And she got a job teaching school in Saugerties, New York. That's down on the Hudson. So that was a lot of planning to go into that. She had to plan to take a lot of clothes with her. She wouldn't be coming home very often. And that same summer, Jean and Jumbo moved back to the Adirondack area. It was going. It was going to be different not having them there, but it would be nice for Pat and Jean to have each other close because where they lived wasn't too far from Socrates, where Pat was going to teach. Now I've got ahead of my story again. Floyd was working for Bill Holt, for Dick Goodrich and putting in potatoes for him and work as usual. But he also bought a farm in the Alzheimer's. It was up on top of Dyer Hill and hadn't been worked for many years. They told him it would take seven years to get it into production. But he worked hard at it and got it so it produced good in four years. The first year we put in was one of those years that there comes a very early hard freeze. So we lost that crop that year. It just was too much frozen to save. Then the next year we did well. He bought tractors and farm machinery to work at, and he still worked for Bill Holm for Dick Goodrich, too. Dick, uh, Bruce worked on his days off. Dick came up from Canisteo and helped sometimes on Saturdays and so forth. But the early 60s, he bought a harvester. We had had a um, colored people come up from the south to work and pick the potatoes and help with the harvest. He built a labor camp for them up on the Dyer Hill farm there. And we had to get that ready every fall for them to stay in while they picked potatoes. But it was getting more difficult to get good help to come up there because so many of them would come just because they wanted to come north and they weren't much workers but most of them were real good workers and Floyd uh, enjoyed them. He also bought a farm up on up on Job's Corners, the Coots Farm it was called. That was a nice farm too. It had fruit trees on it and a big pond that someone else had dug before. We put trees all around that pond and went up there once in a while to have a picnic dinner. It was nice. It wasn't too far from our place. The first year that Jean Jumbo were up there, 
in the Adirondack area. We went up there for Thanksgiving, and Pat came up from where she was teaching school. That was nice. We enjoyed that. There was one interesting thing about that area up there. One of the houses they lived in had been a house that had housed people that were running away from slavery. They called it one of the houses in the Underground Railroad. In this house, one of the upstairs bedrooms had a closet, and out of that closet was a trapdoor in the ceiling where the uh, had been a stairway. They could see where a stairway had been fastened to the wall. It wasn't there then. But they climbed up that stairway and had went through the trap door and stayed upstairs until the next leg of their uh, journey was ready for them. Jean's kids and ours had a lot of fun figuring how to get up in there and to uh, see what it looked like up in there. It was a task because there was no stairs there then. Brian and Jerry were 13 and 15 at that time, and the Robin and Debbie were 9, and of course the other girls were 8 and 7 and so forth. So they'd all studied about the Civil War in the school, and so it was especially interesting to them. Uh, Jumbo had been the nickname that he went by in the Boca and Haskinville area, and we always called him Jumbo down there. But when he moved up in the Adirondack or Champlain area, as we called it, he went by his real name, which was Shirley. So we tried to comply. Every once in a while we'd forget, but most of the time we called him Shirley. They had for some time wanted to go west and travel and take their children. They said they should do it then <coughs> while they were still home. After they got to college, it would be hard to do it. So they began figuring ways they could do it. And they bought a delivery truck. I tried to remember what it would have been, but it was like a bread delivery truck. Jean was a carpenter of the family, and she made, put windows in it, and made bunk beds and cupboards for their, and clothes closets for their clothes, and made a table for them to eat on that would fold up when they weren't eating. And she had it all planned with uh, they each had one outfit for Sunday, and the rest of the time they just had play clothes that they kept in boxes. And they had, in their clothes closet, they each had one church outfit. They would always plan to stop on Saturdays, do their laundry for the week, and find a church and stay there overnight, and then go on Monday. They had invited Pat to go along with them. It would be a help to Jean some, but it would be very nice for Pat to have this trip out west too. So Pat had certain duties ascribed to her that she was supposed to do each day. And, and of course, Jean had the run of all the work. 
they planned this for the summer of 1965. It was very carefully planned, detailed, and their route and everything was planned. In the spring of 65, Pat met a young man at church named Robert Crine. And every letter after that was full of Bob says this and Bob thinks that and I think Bob thinks and so forth. And we could see he was becoming very important to her, but she was going to go on this trip during the summer and that was going to interrupt their courtship quite a bit because it was going to take all summer. They gave us a route so we could send letters for uh, general delivery in different places where they knew they were going to stop. And um, Pat wrote to Bob regularly and he wrote back. So she got letters from him and from us on the trip out. They got to California and, and saw sights all the way along there and she wrote in detail and so did Jean and and we kept up with them that way. They called home occasionally, so we knew they were all right. It was, it was a nice summer. And then in August of that summer, Floyd was very busy with planting potatoes and so forth. He got very ill with pneumonia. And he was in the hospital for two, between two and three weeks. He was real bad. And we had written them and told them, and they were on their way home because they had to be home the last of August. And so they were on their way home anyway, but they hurried up the last part of their trip. So to get here to see Floyd, they were real worried over His men that worked for him took over the work and reported to him every so often while it was going and and he uh, got home he, he still couldn't go back to work for a while he was very weak he had bought a potato harvester by then we didn't have the colored people anymore and the men ran that and Floyd got back to work to sort of oversee the things. He couldn't work too hard for a while. He was still real weak. And Pat went back to teaching in Saturdays where she was teaching. And, and Jean and Jumman went back to their regular routines. Around the Hassonville, Neal's Creek area, there was a big group of young people in there from 9 or 10 up to 15 or 16. And they used to very often meet at Evans's house next door to where we lived. They had a big pond in their yard. And they always invited the kids to come there and go swimming. And they did that real often. They had, Earl had made a raft and they would go out in the middle of that and use that for a diving board and they just had a great time. The ones that were good swimmers did that and the ones that 
weren't so good swam from the shore, and they had a, a nice time going there. Earl had uh, trouble with coons eating his corn, so he had put a, a wire around the cornfield that he hooked up directly to the 110 volt from the house and to try to kill the raccoons as they came to eat the corn. I didn't know about the 110 volt. Helen had told me about the wire, but we had a six volt um, fence around our cow pasture, and I just assumed that's what it was. I didn't give it another thought. On the day of September 21st, it had been a very hot day all day. And so on the way home on the bus, the kids all agreed they'd meet at Evans's to go swimming and probably be the last hot day of the, where they could all go together and swim. So they all met there and they swam quite a while. And then uh, in the middle of it, of that day, I'd forgotten that day, uh, Brian got word that he had passed his driver's test and that was a big, big thing to a 16-year-old. That's what he was then. And he was so excited about that and he had bought a little car with his savings real cheap little car, but it was special to him, and he painted it very carefully and, and was waiting till he got his driver's license so he could drive it. And he was down there swimming with the rest of them, so I never knew why he did this, but all at once he left the pond where they were all swimming and jumping off the raft and so into the corn patch where Helen Evans was gathering corn and he tripped on that wire with his foot and reached down with his other hand to pull the wire off. I suppose it burned and it killed him instantly. We didn't know for sure that at the time but Floyd had been to the doctor that day so he was home just resting. He was pretty tired out. And so we called, and he came and took him to the hospital, but they couldn't revive him. That was a tragedy, because we felt so bad for the Evanses. They just thought so much of all the kids in the neighborhood, and, and of course it was a terrible loss to us. My father was in bed all the time now. I got him up a couple times a day to sit in a chair so that he wouldn't get bed sores or, and to rest him, rest his back and so forth. Pat and Bob's romance was running along like we'd expect it to when they had sort of decided to be married in December. But then when this happened, Pat was so heartbroken over it. She thought so much of Brian that she didn't want to get married until later, so they postponed it till spring. The funeral was on Friday of that week. 
the whole neighborhood turned out to come to our house and offer to help in any way they could furnish food. People I didn't even know brought, sent in casseroles. And of course, it was good because the family all came home. Carolyn Lloyd and Jean Shirley and all like that, so that we needed the different food that was sent in, but I just appreciated it so much. Everyone was so good to us. I never realized how much it helps when someone comes just to offer a word of comfort at a time like that. The next week, my father died, so it was uh, hard to have that at the same time, and we just felt bad because it seemed like we didn't mourn him the way we should because Brian's death was so much in our thoughts. And But life had to go on. We had the funeral on Saturday of that next week. Floyd had begun going to church regularly after Brian's death and studying his Bible. He realized that he needed to get closer to the Lord. Brian was a strong Christian, so I had no doubt where he was. It was the one thing that kept me in balance because I knew that someday I'd see him again. I had Thanksgiving and Christmas at my house that year and all that could come came. It was a time getting back and trying to go back into our normal way of living. We still mourned Brian and my father, but life has to go on. New Year's is a time of beginning again, and we began planning for Pat's wedding, which was to be April 2nd. Pat made uh, most of the arrangements from where she was in Socrates. She ordered the flowers and wedding cake and everything from there. April 2nd came. It was a bright, sunny day, but very cool. The wedding was to be held in the Haskellville Church, same as Jean's and Carolyn's had been. Harry Berger was our pastor at that time. He performed the ceremony. The maid of honor was Sandy Skank, her roommate at college. Trudy Crine, Bob's sister, and Joyce Kinney, a close friend, were bridesmaid. And Debbie was junior bridesmaid. Paul Westerbrook was Bob's best man. Jerry Alderman and and Harry Crine, her his cousin, were ushers. And Stephen Zimmerman, his nephew, was junior usher. 
Aaron Alderman, Bruce's wife, played the regular familiar wedding music on the organ. The reception was held in the basement. Everything went off very nicely down there. And they left right after the reception. They didn't open their gifts there that day because it would make the day too long. They were going to Florida on their honeymoon and they left in Bob's brand new car. So we got back to our regular routine. Jerry and Debbie got back into school. Floyd got back to planting potatoes again. And we Fern stayed down a few days with us, so that made it nice. After he got home from the service, he went back down to the place where they had their trucks, but his partner had not driven truck all the while he was gone.